Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to Hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, getting the small white ball into the small black hole. And covering up my left eye and focusing my attention, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 29th of November 1994, FIFA 95 and... Can you believe it? Rise of the Robots top the gaming charts. The Lion King returns to the top of the box office. We've got a brand new number one in the singles chart with Baby D's. Let me be your fantasy. The fact that Rise of the Robots was number one just shows the power of marketing over common sense. Yeah, yeah. It's the power of Brian May, perhaps. He's barely fucking in it. (laughs) I know. It's funny, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day that was interviewing Brian May, and in the back of my mind, I was like, I wonder if they'll ask him about Rise of the Robots. But of course they're not going to ask him about because he's re-releasing a load of old albums. Yeah. Because they've ne- they're have they not available on TikTok or something or on Instagram stories, But which is why he's re-releasing all of his old stuff is because he found out that he can't use any of his tracks on Instagram stories. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if that includes any of the Rise of the Robots stuff. I wonder if that will come up in the conversation. To be honest, I missed it. It was re-releasing stuff. I hope it includes his Starfleet project cover with Eddie Van Halen. Apparently all of his old, like all of his solo albums are getting re-released. He's doing this sort of big Brian May project. But speaking of music, speaking of songs, we do have a new number one. And I went and listened to this and I listened to both versions, both the 1992 original and the version that charted here in 1994. I don't remember it at all, Luke. How about you? Oh, no, I do remember this. I think this was on like that dance compilation CD that I was talking about earlier. So I think that's probably why this brings to memory for me. (laughs) It's good, but it's not going to be it's not going to be held up as one of the all time greats of the decades. 
but it was not a one-hit wonder for the group Baby D. It reached number one in 94, despite having been released in 1992 originally, and their run continued with them also seeing success from Everybody's Got to Learn Sometime, I Need Your Loving, which was a cover in itself, So Pure, and Take Me to Heaven, which were all included on the album Deliverance, which was released in 1996. And at the very first MOBO Awards, Baby D won the category of Best Dance Act, and that was also in 1996. So while we're at the tail end of 1994 now, it looks like 1995 and 96 is still going to be a good year for Baby D. That's interesting, actually, because I would say, I, I, I yeah, to call them a one-hit wonder um, obviously would be harsh because I, I wasn't aware of these other hits, but I don't remember any of those other songs. Like, if you, when I read down, when I read let me be your fantasy instantly knew what that song was but you just rattled off like four or five other tracks there that i do not remember at all ah well you see you know being a former dj that musical knowledge and the ability to rattle it off wikipedia it's just all (laughs) part and parcel of being a professional it's part of that rich tapestry of skills but whilst this was the second release for let me be your fantasy it would not be the last it got a third re-release with a slightly different mix In the year 2000, didn't get to number one though, that peaked at number 16 and featured MC Tales. Is that why the song is so memorable for me? Because I was listening to the radio a lot in like 99, 2000, and I know that it was like that period as well specifically, because that was also when they did the re-release of Prince's 1999, because it was the year 1999. So I was listening to the radio a lot around that, so maybe... It's not actually the 90s that I remember this song from. It's the 2000s re-release that I remember. It's entirely possible. I mean, I'm sure they're all on Spotify or TikTok or other streaming services that you may wish to listen to music in 45-second bursts. So I guess compare and contrast. But if I guess the version you remember was more garagey, then that would be the year 2000 mix. I'll have to go back and, yeah, as you say, compare and contrast and see if I can find out my answer here. I have a feeling it's the 90s one, but you never know. My mind is uh, is a tricky a tricky maze to conquer. Four seasons in, I'm still trying. <laughs> Just a couple of bits of like movie, TV and game related news. Of course, November 25th was the release of Donkey Kong Country on the Super Nintendo. But on November 20th, it was the network television debut of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles on BBC One. Initially airing on Sunday afternoons, the series was switched to early Saturday evenings from January 1995. A show that in fact featured Harrison Ford cameo a couple of times as older Indiana Jones. I've kind of got a soft spot for young Indiana Jones. And you can tell it's not something that's completely hated by people involved in the Indiana Jones series. I mean, some would argue it has a more rightful place there than uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or whatever it is that's put Harrison Ford on a shelf for a while now. They're making a new film right now, but he's injured and they had to stop filming. Yeah, yeah, they are doing a new one with like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and things like that. And I think it's like set in the sixth... I can't remember when it's set now, but I mean, I'm super excited for it. It's like, yeah, Crystal Skull was no good, but I'm like, oh yeah, but another indie film, maybe this one will be good. I also have of the opinion that I think it is reverse Star Trek and it's the odd ones are good and the even ones are bad. Because while... It's not a terrible film. Temple of Doom is not as good as Raiders or Last Crusade. You might be onto something here because Raiders, great movie. Last Crusade, great movie. And then you put Sean Connery into it and it goes from being great to being 
really great. And yeah, this one is, I believe, set in the 50s and 60s. I know it involves the space race, apparently. Mm -hmm. More aliens. And more aliens, yeah, because that's... I mean, I can't be too critical of them putting aliens into Indiana Jones because, let's be honest, we had, like, ghosts in the first one, Jesus, Grail Knights, Kalimar, that kind of stuff going on. So, yeah, can we really be super critical of aliens? It, it, it was weird, wasn't it? Because when that UFO takes off, I did go. It's a bit silly, that. And it, which is weird to say in an Indiana Jones movie, with considering all the other shit that's happened. Like, someone ripped someone's heart out of their chest in the second movie. I reckon the aliens thing would have gone down fine if the film before it hadn't, like, nuked the fridge, literally. Yeah. It's fine to do something like that, but when you nuke the fridge and jump the shark so many times in the film before that, including with some really awful cgi monkeys and just the cgi everything it yeah i think it was just a step too far i think if they'd been a bit more grounded and a little less computer reliant in the rest of the movie people might have gone fair enough it's no more stupid than a grail knight exactly yeah like the grail knight at the end of like you have chosen wisely is probably like less believable than an alien because like that is like literal jesus christ is is you know a, a plot point of the third movie so yeah like is aliens that much of a as a step beyond you know really we've been told that we should believe the truth is out there i mean we've done at least two episodes on the need to believe young indiana jones chronicles though I've, I've got pretty fond memories of it i haven't seen it in a long ass time probably haven't watched it since like it was on here on the babe um, but I, I would possibly go back and rewatch some episodes of it. Hey, maybe it's a future candidate for Under Consultation Extra. I like it. Have we got anything in the magazine before we jump into the episode itself? Oh, well, we're on the December issue and there's some shocking, shocking news because whilst it launched in Japan and America back in June, Super Street Fighter 2 is coming to the SNES in the UK in time for Christmas. It's going to launch on December 2nd just in time for that last-minute expensive gift rush. Oh, and it was expensive as well. I remember that that box coming out with that hefty, hefty price tag attached to it. But yeah, the, the news article says they originally planned to release the game in the new year, but with ever-increasing interest and the prospect of big Christmas sales, Nintendo have decided to treat us all to a very exciting Christmas present. Hurrah! But Luke, guess what? What's that? Capcom are also currently creating a version of the game for Sega's 32X. Oh, oh, well, I'm sure that'll come out. Well, it bollocks. It's described as an enhanced port, and enhanced apparently means non-existent. Mm-hmm. It was too advanced, that was the problem. It was like Windows 9, we're just not going to release it, it's just too good, you, you, you couldn't yeah. handle it. <laughs> Guess you guys just aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. They do also mention that next month, they will be reviewing... Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo for the 3DO, which they say is arcade perfect. It is a great conversion. It's absolutely stonking. But the Street Fighter news doesn't end there, because you remember that really, really good and accurate Street Fighter 2 article we had months back, which you absolutely believed and didn't debunk in the slightest. Oh, I remember it very well. Well, we've got another article here which doesn't make any mention of that earlier one, but does say that the movie opens in America in December, looks to be a $40 million blockbuster, noting that Jean-Claude Van Damme himself demanded $7 million for the role, but the story, written by Stephen E. D'Souza, 
sees Guile, played by Van Damme, going up against M. Bison to rescue 63 captured relief workers. DJ, Chun-Li and Honda are actually reporters in the film, and neither Ken nor Ryu take the sort of lead role you might expect from such popular characters. We'll give you a full report just as soon as it comes in. And they give a rundown of the cast entirely accurate this time with Colonel Guile, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Bison, Rao Julia, Kami, Kylie Minogue, Chun-Li, Ming-Na Wen, Sagat, Wes Studi, Ken, Damien Chapper, Ryu, Byron Mann, and the film will also feature a top rap soundtrack with artists like Hammer, Public Enemy, and Ice Cube. Is that more accurate, Luke? That is 100% on the button this time. And one last bit of Street Fighter news, because there's a new Street Fighter 2 coin-op, which is, of course, Street Fighter, the movie, the arcade game. Hey, that has got a fascinating development cycle for it as well of like because that was you know trying to be more like mortal Kombat as opposed to the pixel arts they you know they did motion capture work they were meant to have the actors a lot of them didn't show up even though they were contracted to do so so there's there's a lot of like stunt actors in there the game was supposed to also feature mega man as an unlockable character as well as arthur from ghouls and ghosts and unfortunately it just never like came through the and it was meant to be originally street fighter 3 and then they changed it to Capcom changed it to Street Fighter the movie the game. I remember having it for the PS1, the home console port. I somewhat regret that decision. Yeah. The arcade game is uh is isn't bad, but the home ports were pretty butt. They were not good at all. So TV news is back. Cool. And is once again showing how what they were told was coming uh may not necessarily be what was coming. So We actually go back to when this issue came out, because technically this was issue that could have gone last week. This was November 22nd, and they say this week sees the manure hitting the fan as Camilla Power and Ian Kelsey slug it out on Clay Fighter 2 Judgment Clay. This is followed by challenges on the awesome Creature Shock on the PC and Mickey Mania on the Mega Drive. And fans of our Tim can go all gooey when he appears reviewing Virtua Racing, Magic Carpet, and Nigel Mansell's IndyCar. So, first episode, that's wrong. Kind of. It is, yeah, because that Nigel Mansell review is in episode eight, along with that Clay Fighter 2 challenge. So some chopping and changing happening there. But Creature Shock and Mickey Mania were in last week's episode. Yeah, they topped and tailed it. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So November 29th, which would be this week's episode, top athlete blokes Roger Black from Out of the Olympics and Dwayne Ladijo. That's not this episode. No. But they duel on the arcade coin-op Newman Athletics, whilst Boogerman on the Mega Drive and Power Drive on the SNES provide the alternative challenges. Boogerman is in this episode, but that Newman Athletics one isn't until like the nearly the end of the series. That's like episode 15, I think. Meanwhile, the reviews will be Pitfall, Star Wars Arcade, and World Cup Rugby. So World Cup Rugby is an interesting one because we had the demo board of that as a challenge um, a couple of episodes ago. Star Wars is in this episode, but the Pitfall one was again in episode eight. That was with the Nigel Mansell review. Sneakily looking ahead to the December 6th one because it does bear relevance, that one talks about a challenge on PGA Golf. Which is in this episode. And Pitfall on the SNES which is not listed whatsoever as an upcoming challenge going by our dream sheet. Indeed it is not. Now, we got contacted by someone recently who said that they won a golden joystick in Series 4 and their challenge was cut because the challenge was presented as impossible and they beat it. Do you think maybe that was the pitfall challenge? 
Maybe. Man, this is fascinating. It just shows that Series 4 has been almost as chop and changeable as Series 3. Obviously not the later half of Series 3 because that was all team championship stuff. But like that, those first like 13 or so episodes were all over the shop. Yeah, and in the reviews, they say we're seeing reviews of Sensible World of Soccer, Animaniacs and Mighty Morphing Power Rangers, while CJ Lewis plays Chaos Control on the SNES in the Celebrity Challenge. So that's a bit more in line with what we're doing this week on the November 29th episode. Yeah, I think Power Rangers is reviewed in that episode i think it's in that one because it gets like absolutely dogpiled upon oh god yeah big time like 33 percent or something and animaniacs i think might be in that episode as well but the celebrity challenge is in line with what we're doing this week that's right yeah the cj lewis one is today meanwhile the last one that's previewed so looking way into the future for us here at december 13th is ridiculous girly tights wearers stars and stripes slug it out on fatal fury special on the snes their real names are Marcus Bagwell and The Patriot. Their real name is The Patriot. <laughs> it's not Del Wilkes at all. His real name is Patriot, comma, The. And they're American wrestlers in the WCW, which means they're not very good and The Undertaker could have them both at the same time. <laughs> no doubt Don will inflict loads of verbal abuse on them unless he's scared, of course. Well, we'll see mm-hmm. on that one. Meanwhile, Tim's reviewing Bloodshot on the Mega Drive, Wolverine on the Mega Drive, and Zero Squirrel on the SNES. I don't think any of those reviews are in that episode. I don't recall them being when I was skimming it the other day. But the Dweeb challenges feature Wiz on the Mega Drive and Superstar International Soccer. I think you'll find that's International Superstar Soccer on the SNES. So there you have it. Get your goggle boxes on right now. Go on, hurry up, and you will be disappointed because that's not what we're going to get. I'm looking at this list now. I'm not seeing ISS at all. We haven't got another football challenge in this series. Then again, we already know. They drop challenges because, hey, we've got footage of the PlayStation. Hey, we've got a feature on motion capture because they're going to the magazine format. Exactly. And that ties into episode 16 and 17 both being two challenge episodes. I think that very much ties into last minute changes. Scrap the challenge because we've got a feature we want to show instead. So it means that our hopeful interview with someone that was on a challenge that won a joystick but that never aired is not alone there may be Mm. others out there which also begs the question given how drecky some of these challenges are that we're going to see how bad were the ones they didn't air i know i was just yeah that's a great point actually because some of the ones we've had are bad and we've had some bad challenges recently and we we haven't got any great ones in this one either so yeah how bad were they Maybe it was just a case of we're editing on such a tight deadline. Is the edit of that challenge finished? Fine, we'll stick it out there. Yeah. Basically, is there post work that needs to be done? If there isn't, let's not worry about it. Anyway, we're done with the magazine and we've already kind of spoiled what's coming up or may not be (laughs) coming up for the next month. Shall we move on to the episode itself? Hi there. Here at Gamescrafters, we can offer you two pairs of prescription glasses for the price of fun in less than an hour. So I'd like you to cover up your left eye and focus your attention on our first challenge to be set by the Games Master. I am, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I've got very good vision. Uh, I believe it's like, it's not quite 2020, but it's sort of near as damage. I've never had to have glasses or anything like that. But I kind of, um, I don't mind going to the opticians. I went fairly recently because my poor old uh, Mars got uh, glaucoma. So I have to go and like get it checked up every now and again because it's sort of a hereditary thing. But I am very bad at... Uh, and I'm only saying this now because the goblins have got this problem as well, knowing my left and right. And so I am one of those people that if you say like you're heading left, 
I have to hold my hand up to find out which one uh, shows you the L, your, for, your first finger and your thumb to do the L shape to know that that's my left hand. Today I learned. <laughs> yeah, that was something I was taught because I was very bad at it at school. And one of my teachers taught me that that's a way to tell what your left and right is. And I still do this when I'm driving. Like if my wife says to me, we're going left here on the steering wheel, I'll just lift up my fingers just off the steering wheel so I can see which one is the left and which one is the right. Smooth. But I felt bad for the goblins because, you know what, they probably don't have a great education system down in hell. It's probably not much to write home about if indeed they're taught how to write at all. Yeah, yeah. Again, lovely bit of work from the goblins. Dominic's dialogue, basically poking fun at the Vision Express type stuff. Selling us glasses, two prayers for the price of fun. I love that. That's so good. That was going to be nearly my intro line because I really enjoyed that. We start the show with a hearty challenge on the golfing game PGA Golf 3. Using the TV golf stick rather than joypad, our challenger has two minutes to get the small white ball into the small black hole. Right, let's tee off. Now, this is our first of two challenges that we've got on this show that is using gimmicks. And the gimmick for this one is that you are literally using a golf stick and a sensor instead of using a joypad, which is actually pretty cool. We get a couple of gimmicks in this episode. This is actually the most gimmicky gimmick episode we've had in a while. Because, I mean, the Celebrity Challenge involves a CDI, and if you want to talk gimmicky, the CDI is gimmicky. But this device, we'll, we'll get onto this device a little bit when the challenge begins, but the game they're playing is PGA Golf Tour 3, which is the third PGA Golf Tour game. You get out of here. <laughs> You're kidding. And that's about all I've got on it, other <laughs> no. than the fact it was really, really well received, although... It was just another PGA Golf Tour game. Whether the reviewers played it with the TV... See, I like a good pun. That's not a good pun. But whether they reviewed it with the TV or not, I don't know. But Next Gen reviewed the game, rating it four stars out of five and stating that golf fans put down that golf digest, keep your eye on the ball, keep your left arm straight and pick up this game. That's actually almost a very Games Master type line. It's actually, it's pretty good as well. Is, is this on the 3DO? No, this is the Mega Drive version, as best as I can tell. Is it really? Kind of looks really good for the Mega Drive. Yeah, I mean, they praise the detailed digitized backgrounds and the kind of the window and saying it adds a new layer of complexity to lining up the shots. So there you go. I'm impressed by that. I, I really thought this was 3DO. So well done, Sega, on that one. So let's go up to the tee and meet Adel Kastandi. Okay, now... Adel, uh, many people worry about long-term unemployment and the problems of the third world. For you, it's hair. T tell us what your worries are. Well, it just grows in all different ways and just annoys me. So you, you like to keep it short and tidy? Yeah, that's right. That's good, because a lot of kids nowadays favour the Ricky from EastEnders look. You know where it hangs out. And I think lankness is one of the big problems that we're going to face as we approach the year 2000. Would you agree? Probably, yeah. yeah. Do you play golf yourself, Adel? No, not really. No? So you'll be looking forward to this one. <laughs> but Adel is our challenger to play PGA Tour Golf, and he has got some back and forth with Dominic about, you guessed it, hair. Now, I feel like I'm being a bit dismissive of that, but we haven't had any hair gags for a while, so this almost feels like fresh material for Dom. Really? Because I just thought, oh, it's another week, we've got hair jokes. I could have sworn we had one last week. It really is a running theme for this series of hair. And some of it could just be Dom projecting. Some of it could actually be the people involved as well. I mean, 
I'm fairly certain the neo-Nazi haircut was not a joke that Dom came up with. <laughs> That's true. We have had lots of references to his his uh, hairstyle and his dress style, I suppose. But Adol, yeah, he's concerned with hair and how much it grows and in the different ways it grows. And and I guess to combat that, he keeps it short and tidy, which Dom likes because he laments that the youth of today tend to go the Ricky from EastEnders curtain fashion and lankness is a problem for the millennium, Luke. He is obviously our dunking target for this week, Ricky from EastEnders. But my question to you, Ash, is you were a, a teenager, you were a child during the 90s. Did you have those curtains? No, I did not. Oh, I did. I had the big curtains. I had an unruly mop of hair until about 1999. And that's when I just stopped cutting it and I got the long hair. And that's been it. That, uh, the last time I went to a proper hairdresser for anything was actually in the year 2000. That is impressive, man. Like split ends will still come out. And clearly, you know, the fact that it's not all the way down like to my back shows that clearly my follicles do have a limit. But yeah, I've, I've not given money to a hairdresser or barber since. I was actually talking recently with um, a friend of mine. We were sort of reminiscing about like the, the curtain style of the 90s. And I used to have like the, the thick thick gel that you used to get which came in sort of like a little round tub and everything was purple and a little bit sparkly you'd get that and you'd put it into your big mop of hair then you'd get a comb and you'd comb it all the way back find that center parting like find that sort of center line from the sort of like uh, lines that you've made with the comb and then comb it out and in the process you're also combing out excess gel so your comb would just have this gross like film of gel that isn't staying within your hair and then during the day, man, I was probably, it was like wearing a helmet. If I fell off a bike and it hit my head, I'd have no damage whatsoever because it was just this thick crust. You could like snap it and things like that. that was one of the things we used to do at school was snap each other's hair and stuff. Uh, or you'd like feel it like crust up. Yeah, I used to have massive like proper 90s curtains towards the late 90s, 97, 98 period. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you were definitely part of the lankness problem of the millennium, Luke. Oh, well, I was, yeah. I was just scruffy. And uh, growing, growing hair out to actually grow into a ponytail, it's a lot harder than you think because you reach a point where you can't quite tie it back and you can't nope. just have it hanging down. Oh, it's bad. And even at this length, like when I wash my hair, I know that the first time I go outside afterwards, doesn't matter how much conditioner I use or what I do, it's just as soon as the wind whips around, it's going to be so light, it's just going to go shumph and the wind will just catch it and blow it all over the place. And that's why hairspray. It's useful stuff. And it's much less gunky than the stuff you used to use on your curtains. Which was disgusting. It was. Last week, we unveiled the Ridge Racer on the PlayStation. This is an early version of Namco's latest arcade racer, Ace Driver. The coin-up uses the same System 22 technology as the original Ridge Racer, but allows an eight-players-at-once type situation. Ace Driver will be mincing its way into UK arcades very soon. This is like a nice sort of, not, I don't want to say step up from Ridge Racer. It's like a nice follow-on from Ridge Racer in a way because, dude, it looks rad. Yeah, it was built on the same hardware, but obviously they were really, really bigging up the fact that it could be an eight-person multiplayer experience. And like the designers behind it was uh, one of the people behind Metro Cross. One of the others was a designer on pole position. So you've got some heritage going in there. It won the best coin-op game at like a trade show in 94. 
Critics praised the graphics, the multiplayer, the responsive controls. Some people found it superior to Daytona USA and even beating out Namco's own Ridge Racer. It had two sequels, Ace Driver Victory Lap and Ace Driver 3 Final Turn. A PlayStation Home conversion was announced in 1995, but was never released. Is the PlayStation going to be our next uh, guess what? I mean, most likely it'll be the N64 or the Saturn, but will the PlayStation get one of them? I mean, realistically, I think actually guess what will just become synonymous for ports that just never appeared because as gaming explodes out again, a lot of games were announced that just never appeared. But at the time they feature it here, it had just been released in Japan in November 94. North American release came out before the end of 94. And yes, it would be mincing its way into Europe, March 1995. That's very impressive then if this, because I assume this has come out a bit earlier in the year. I mean, obviously it makes sense that it's it's brand new footage here, but I thought they were showing it because it was coming to the UK. But if this came out November 94, but it won like best coin ops at the end of the year, that's pretty, that's, you know, that is high praise indeed. Part of me wonders if the development process was aided by the fact that it was using the same board as Ridge Racer. Were there other aspects, were there other graphical elements or engine elements that were also brought across? It did have a sound system in the arcade cabs by Bose, which is pretty cool. That's some heavy, heavy heavy-duty speakers. Stop just watching TV. Yes, cable-happy Americans can now download games directly into their Mega Drives thanks to the Sega channel. You can choose a game out of about 50, and within seconds it's piped down the cable lines into your warm inviting lap you can download as many games as you like for a moderate monthly fee of around 40 dollars being able to download games directly to your mega drive it's 40 bucks a month which i think sort of now feels like it's quite pricey considering you know what you get from netflix for like five dollars or whatever it is or five quid and then from like the playstation now i think it's called they're sort of like library of downloadable games or Game Pass. Yeah, exactly. Like $40 may sound pretty pricey, but I think like at the time, the possibility of being able to download Sonic or... And it would have been like probably early Mega Drive titles as well. It's been like Sonic, Quackshot, Castle Illusion, that sort of thing. But being able to download that directly to your machine through your phone line is a very cool thing. I don't recall this ever made it to the UK though. It might have done, but I don't particularly remember it doing so. It was very much an American-Japan-centric service. It actually started in 1990 in Japan with Sega MegaNet, which operated through a cartridge in a peripheral called the Mega Modem, which I think we've discussed before. And that allowed Mega Drive owners to play 17 games online. They announced an American version of that called the Telegenesis, which was announced but never released. And then we skip forward to 1993, which was when Sega announced the Sega Channel service which would use the cable television providers to deliver content. Testing happened in June of that year, deployment in December, and a complete US release occurred in 1994, and 21 different cable companies signed up to carry the Sega Channel service. The most shocking thing about this to me is that the official full American-wide launch via Time Warner Cable came in December 1994, and it lasted until July 1998. This outlived the 32X, the Mega CD, and the Sega fucking Saturn. That is good, man. Yeah, because that's literally just before the release of the Dreamcast. But in addition to games, you could also play demos, get cheat codes. It was kind of, it was being something of a, you know, it was a bit of an early precursor to websites, mixing in with the on-demand stuff that you'd see in Netflix, PlayStation Now, or just just that kind of all-you-can-eat ideal. 
again, it was Sega being ahead of their time. And I'd criticise them for not capitalising on it, but it ran until 1998. Yeah. What I'll criticise them for is not using it for the bloody Saturn, not building it into their future things. Because again, as we discussed with the hardware for the Saturn, it's got a fucking cartridge slot. You get memory cartridges for that thing. They could have worked it in. I mean, that is, that's an oversight of Sega of Japan, 100%, not doing backwards compatibility. It did briefly make its way outside of America. Basically, it went to Canada, and that was in 1995. And whilst it did make its appearance, I guess, in the decline of the Mega Drive era, because obviously the 32X is out, the Saturn is out as well, it did at its peak have over 250,000 subscribers and even in 1997, still had 230,000 subscribers. That's a lot of Mega Drive owners or people that just forgot to cancel. Could be either. Yeah, that's a really strong number. Way stronger than I ever would have thought it would be. So glad you are my friend. Over the years, we've had some pretty sad games on Games Master, but surely none sadder than Terry, your virtual girlfriend. For people whose personal hygiene prevents them talking to real girls, Terry will give good conversation. I've noticed you are happy almost every time I talk to you. She'll listen to your problems, laugh at your jokes, and generally treat you like the suave charmer you always knew you were. Thank you. You are such a nice guy. Personally, I think it's great. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons when uh, it's the Malibu Stacy episode and they go to Smithers' computer and he's got that digitized thing of Mr. Burns that goes, Hello, Smithers. You're quite good at turning me on. Um, you probably should ignore that. That is what Terry the Virtual Girlfriend is. Ash is holding up to the screen the exact same note. <laughs> My other thought was, man, do you remember when we talked to Dominic Diamond? We talked to Dominic Diamond. We talked to him a couple of times. Lovely guy. When he talked about meeting Jane Hewland at the trade show when he was playing with Virtual Valerie, and it kind mm. of rekindled everything, and they got on like a house on fire. Can you imagine if he'd been playing this? I don't reckon we'd be reviewing anything right now. This is, this feels sad, like quite sad, because it is just like this digitized voice of just like, you make me laugh. Thank you for seeing me today. How are you? This is like the movie Mannequin, if the mannequin had remained a mannequin. Yeah. This is like Electric Dreams if the computer was a fucking speak and spell. This is hot garbage. Yeah. Her, this is not. This is no weird science, put it that way. No, it really isn't, is it? I like Dominic Diamond at the end, he goes like, I think it's great. Yeah, the sincerity was not there on that one. <laughs> I was able to dredge up some information on this. God help me, I kind of felt dirty copying and pasting and Googling and just going out there and seeing what I could find. You're probably on some sort of register now. Oh, incognito and VPNs, mate. <laughs> They'll never find me. It was advertised as the world's first artificially intelligent virtual woman. It boasted artificial intelligence, a vocabulary of over 3,000 words, and VGA video of a real woman. The product consisted of the Girlfriend Environment Kit, which was kind of the base level, and then there were additional personality kits. So you had the Girlfriend Lisa personality kit that came free with the base so that was how they lured you in you then had girlfriend susie personality kit which was only supplied if the purchaser included a signed statement that they were over 21 
Oh, so that one gets a bit saucy, I'm going to assume. That one doesn't just laugh at your jokes. No, it laughs at something else. Then there was Terry, which came in two flavours, the PG-13 and the Are You Sure You're Over 21 variety. And that's who we see on this news item here is Terry. Terry, who throughout most of the clips we see of the real woman, honestly looks like she's like about to pass out does not look like the person on the other end of the keyboard is holding her attention. Hostage, maybe. Attention, no. Lastly, there was the Tracy personality kit, which was in 1995. And whilst, yes, it had AI and yes, it had a vocabulary and yes, it had a creepy text-to-speech kind of voice, conversation was limited. No, get out of here. Because <laughs> these real women only existed inside your computer, so know nothing about the outside world. So. You know, you couldn't ask her about the match or complain about the latest episode of Star Trek Voyager, but you could compliment her about her clothing or try to woo her, but only for the over 21 version. Yeah, so there's obviously, there is a game mechanic to this then. You don't just get to uh, get her to whip her tits out. You've, you've got to try and uh, wine and dine her that way. Find the right, com- like, right, find the right combination of conversation in order to get yourself to that point. I've got a bit more on it here because apparently all these virtual women live in multi-room apartments. So you can actually get them to go from one room to another to change the mood. And there's a thermometer on the screen that shows where the mood is at or, you know, that their heating system's broken. She will do the full Malibu station. She will change her clothes when asked and pose. But she's got a new hat. And in the base package, there is no nudity. And so any situation that leads to Lisa disrobing will just result in a headshot. However, for girlfriend Terry and other add-ons that require a signed statement saying you're over 21, this is not the case. Yeah, you know, the 90s were a different time, I guess. The best thing is the original version of this that was released in 1993, there was no speech. I was just text on screen. It was like a really shonky visual novel, but with less good graphics. Yeah, and less plot. Anyway, this would not be the end of the virtual girlfriend phenomenon. In fact, it's still around today. Mobile apps, PC, VR, we are basically moving into that Red Dwarf territory. Oh yeah. We are half a step from Lone Gunman of the Apocalypse, and I for one cannot wait, because Lone Gunman would look fun. I mean, Lone Gunman won awards. Who doesn't want to be the Riviera Kid? Right, no stranger to bogies himself. Games Master's own Andy Hutchinson is with us in the bunker for this one. Andy, we're actually using the TV Golf Club in this one. What, what tips can you, can you give our challenger with that in mind? Basically, there is only one tip. Hit it as hard as you possibly can. Got that ball. Good thwack. Gotta be. Try not to draw it over to those trees. Mm-hmm. Right, well, I think that's enough sadness for this episode. Andy Hutchinson is back in the booth with not one, but two jokes, really, because we've got Boogerman later on. So it's quite nice for them to make reference here that Andy Hutchinson's no stranger to bogeys himself, tying the two together somewhat. Oh, don't tie bogeys together. That's grim. Yeah, it's a bit gross. But his advice here is just hit it as hard as you can. And... He hasn't got as many shots as he wants. He's got 12 shots maximum, but two minutes to do it in. And watching him do this, this looks hard, man. Like, this looks really tough to do because he slices basically every single shot that he does and he never gets a full whack of power behind any of it. No, I mean, what this thing is, is essentially it is a plate that sits on the floor that's got an infrared sensor in it. You've got a special golf club 
that you swing over the top and it reads the position of the golf club and how long it takes to pass through the beam, the interrupt, the interruption of the beam's path, all that stuff. And then it takes that, it thinks about it, and then translates it to whatever it's attached to, in this case, the Mega Drive. It wasn't plug and play. You had to actually kind of program the pad for each game you wanted to use it for. Hold on, does that mean you could use this on Sonic 3? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. You basically you had to buy different modules for different games. Although this was the only one anyone ever really seemed to see. It doesn't look like any of the others ever came out or were released widely. But yeah, the hint is hit it as hard as possible. And Dom does briefly describe how the TV works with light beams and such. And Adil demonstrates by slicing the ball. Yeah, and he slices this a lot. Virtually every shot that he does, uh, he doesn't quite make it to where he looks to be like he manages to sort of avoid the rough for the majority of the run though he's about like sort of 33 yards from the end before he eventually does his trouble comes with the putting on all of this because he can't putt and then towards the end he is swinging wildly just to try and make him hit and he just keeps on missing it ends in disaster really it does i mean as don points out he slices on a putt that's really impressive adil basically stunk at this more than anyone I've ever seen play golf. Yeah, I don't know if it's just the the peripheral that he's using is what was working against him here, but it's not a great advertisement for it, I don't think. And I feel that some of this was just done so that Dominic Diamond could tell us on commentary that Nick Faldo's caddy is called Fanny. Well, on the subject of the commentary, this is another case of post-production commentary because when we get to the challenge end, the audio quality and the acoustics change instantly. Yeah, lack of beam to sense the connection. Stance has all got a pot. He's running out of time here. He's going to have to try and hit this thing. He's got two seconds left, one second left, a final pitiful port. And it's still miles away, which means Adam's challenge ends in disaster. Apart from the noticeable change in quality, it's actually pretty fun commentary. They have some good funds. There's a couple of jokes about length. There is, of course, the mention of Fanny, balls going in the rough. Regarding what Adil did wrong, going by the one camera angle they show, I think his biggest issue is he kept losing his position over the sensor. Towards mm. the end, when he was like weed whacking, like he was swiping so much, the reason it wasn't translating is the head of the club wasn't passing over the sensor. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. He just keeps missing wildly. Like, and he is proper, like, swing, 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 swing. There's no, like, swing, see if that registered. He he knows that he's missing this. Adel, at the end of that, you were still 26 foot away from the hole. What what went wrong for you? Well, it's just it's a hard game's hard swing at, and mm. there's nowhere to put the beam, really. Yeah, it's, it's quite that you were swinging like crazy at the end yeah. there. You were going like that. It was like a, some kind of public school headmaster, actually, I think, at, at the end there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, post-match, Dom says that at the end, he was still 26 foot from the hole. What went wrong? And Adol's just like, mm, hard game, beams. He doesn't really have much to sort of say about this, just says that it is hard. And like, in fairness, I'd imagine it is pretty hard, particularly with that pressure as well. But still, at least he has the best hair of any challenger they've had on. First up, gently caress the force with Star Wars on Sega's just released 32X add-on. This Star Wars game is by the same team who put together the Virtua stuff for Sega, like Virtua Fighters and Virtua Racer. And it shows. It's nice, big, blocky polygons, big colours, lots of flashing lights and very fast-smooth animation. There are four levels in the game. The first one starts you out in deep space, just shooting down a matter of 15 ties. 
Um, the second level, you're flying over the Death Star. In the third level, you're flying through a ship. Uh, you've got to destroy its engine when you get to the end of the level. Um, I didn't get onto the fifth level, so I don't know what's there. Sorry. It's also very easy, even when you play it on Mega 32X mode, which is supposedly the hardest setting. You should finish it in a day or so, and it's a little disappointing for that. It is a good demonstration of the graphic power of the 32X, but not the game to buy it for. Into the review zone, and it's been a game that has featured a fair amount on this show, this series already, Star Wars Arcade. However, I think the biggest problem here and kind of what they highlight in this review is that, and as we talked about in previous episodes, this is only four levels long. And what kind of Frank says about the game, I think is probably the best way to describe this, which is like, Look, it's really good at advertising what the 32X could do, but it's basically just a tech demo. And as a tech demo, do you want to be dropping 60 quid to take this home? I mean, Rise of the Robots is top of the chart, so maybe. Could be, yeah. I mean, if you bought a 32X, you are going to be desperate for something to, to kind of cling on to as being a success story. It's always the issue when you do arcade ports, though. Like, unless you've got a Tekken or fighting games, fighting games normally do okay, one-on-one fighting games, because then you've got the competitive nature and you get your mates round. Side-scrolling beat-em-ups, a little bit less. I mean, Turtles in Time, I love Turtles in Time, but man, it's a quick game to play. Oh, yeah, totally. I remember going on a bus journey once up to Liverpool, and they'd just done, I think it was on the Game Boy Advance, they'd just done the, like, uh, classic NES re-releases, so you could get, I think they did like Donkey Kong, Zelda, and Mario, and I think one of the other ones as well. I can't remember what it was now. But I got uh, Donkey Kong as uh, the re-release. And, you know, that's just four boards over and over and over again. And I got pretty bored of it pretty quickly on that bus journey, and it did not entertain me. I should have got Zelda, really, but looking back on it. Oh, mate, you switched me on to the Donkey Kong Game Boy game? Oh, I'm enjoying that. Ooh, I am having fun with that, yeah. Oh, it's so good, right? I'm doing surprisingly well in it as well. Like, I'm genuinely shocked with how well I am doing and how many lives I've accrued. Either the game is easier than I thought it would be, or I'm actually just good at it. It could go either way. Like, I think you might need some of those lives for later on, because um, some of the levels do get pretty tricky and, like, really difficult to work out the puzzles for. But yeah, those first few boards are really, really fun. Like, the big sort of, like, you know, the New York one's really fun, and the jungle's really fun. Man, what a game. One other note on this review section, not just this review, but all the reviews. Are they deliberately not putting the names up? Or was this a production cock-up? Oh, well, for the people doing the reviews? Yeah, they don't appear. Oh, I did not spot that. I still get occasional face blindness when it comes to the reviewers at times. Like, there's a few that I'm just like, oh, I immediately recognise you. But even on this one, I because I still look for them when I'm just writing my initial notes, I'm just like, ah... Okay. Yeah, that, that seems to me just in a production error because they've come up pretty much all the other times, I think. But yeah, that sounds like it was a, a, a cock up at some end. It's episode 11. If you don't know by now, you're out of luck. Meanwhile, in Japan, Virtual Fighters has been bundled with the just released Saturn. We thought we'd review it now for a laugh. It's been a long time since I've been truly excited by a video game this much. Virtual Fighters sent large dollops of adrenaline charging through my body. It's an excellent conversion. In fact, I prefer it to the arcade game, which I always found slightly um, sluggish to respond. Really, you must at least get to see this. And as soon as you do see it, you're going to want a Saturn and Virtual Fighters. Oh. 
Each character's got their own set of special moves that vary wildly. Some pick each other up by the knees and swing them around and throw them out of the ring, while others jump up into the air and come crushing down on your chest. If the rest of the Saturn games continue to be this good and this good looking, um, I'm sure the Saturn will do very well. As a beat em up, it's better than all the competition that's gone before. It's better than Street Fighter, it's better than Mortal Kombat, it's better than Primal Rage, it's fantastic. Lots of combos, lots of secret moves, and the most amazing graphics ever seen on a home system. It really is a bee's knees, and certainly worth buying a Saturn for. It's as simple as that. But up next, f***ing hell, this is a bit exciting. We are at the tail end here of 1994, and being reviewed in this episode is a Sega Saturn game. Now, we, I think we probably kind of expected this was coming because we had that feature where they went to go to that guy's house at like half five in the morning to play it in his bedroom. But we are pl we're seeing here a Sega Saturn review in 1994. This is wicked. And the only thing that would make it better would be if Dom would stop calling it Virtua Fighters. Yeah, I know. We, we said this last week, didn't we? It's like, it is a bit... Oh, come on, mate. You, you know it's Virtua Fighter, no plural. I mean, technically, he's accurate in the sense is there is more than one of them. So it is Virtua Fighters. Do you know what? Like, every, it's certainly true. It's true from a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan would say. But like, what I loved about this review isn't just that this is a Sega Saturn review. These are three people who love this game. Like, they have been blown away by this game. Talking about, like, once you see it, once you've seen it around a mate's house, you're going to want to get a Saturn. And if you've got itself a Saturn, you're going to want to get this game. Frank O'Connor saying, this is better than Street Fighter. This is better than Mortal Kombat. This has got the greatest graphics you've ever seen in your life. Whoa, 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 whoa. What about tennis on the CDI, Luke? Come on. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Well, apparently, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen them side by side, but apparently Virtual Fighter has pipped it to the post, according to Frank O'Connor. Madness. Absolute madness. Also, I did raise an eyebrow going, oh, it's better than Street Fighter. Better than Mortal Kombat, maybe. Better than, like, Clay Fighter, definitely. Better than Primal Rage, mm, probably. But better than Street Fighter 2? Mm, I don't think so. I think Virtual Fighter has aged poorly. Although I do note they say the issue that I've always had with Virtual Fighters is the uh, sluggish and the kind of floaty nature of it, and they do say it's a bit better on the Saturn. I still don't get on with it. I wish I did. No, I agree. Yeah, same here. Like, Virtual Fighter 2 is a much better sequel than this original here, which is what we talked about last week. But, like, this was, you know, at the end here, 96%, by the way, for Virtual Fighter, a mega manga score there. And it had this little thing where it's like, it's like 60 quid plus 300, or it's like 300 quid with the console, because you've still got to get this on import. This is... With the feature that we get later on, this is a fascinating little period for Games Master. Yeah, and also this is not the only version of the original Virtua Fighter that would appear on the Saturn because next year, 1995, we get Virtua Fighter Remix, which starts for the Saturn and is then ported back to the arcade. While it was released in 95, you could get it as a freebie in America. Well, I think that'll do us for our reviews this week. Only two this week, in fact. But it's time for a celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I do like a good shoot-em-up. And my next challenge on the CDI game Chaos Control should provide just that. Players have to rack up points by blasting as many alien adversaries as possible in 45 seconds. 
it couldn't be simpler. I just want to quickly double check something. In the magazine, um, you were talking about CJ Lewis playing Chaos Control. Did they say it was on the SNES? They did indeed, and I think I just parroted that verbatim, even though I know it's the CDI, because only CDI games play this badly. Well, that's what I thought, because you said it was on the SNES, and I thought to myself, oh, that's weird, because I don't think this is on the SNES. This looks like it's a CDI thing. And then you said later on in the episode, it's a CDI thing. I was like, I was right. Maybe I misheard, Ash. Maybe they didn't say the SNES whatsoever, but... Yeah, another error there for the TV section of the magazine. I've been let down by a magazine from 1994. I'm just going to have to live with that now. Yeah, this is like a game that's meant to be like, oh, look, it's the next gen of things. Problem is, it's on the CDI and it looks a bit bobbins. Whilst it wasn't released for the SNES, it did also come out for MS-DOS, Macintosh, Sega Saturn and the Sony PlayStation in 1995. The game style is meant to look anime if CGI. And it does. The, you know, there were a couple of comments on the commentary regarding some of the designs, and it's like, well, yes, it is a very Japanese-looking game. The Saturn actually got two versions. It got Chaos Control Remix, which was an enhanced version. I'm going to have to check that out, because, you know, I've got a Saturn, and why not play the bad games as well? Maybe that one's good. GamePro were kind of praising, but also GamePro were often, like, bribed. Next Gen, while they admired the visuals advised the game would bore anyone who does not enjoy the straightforward and mindless gameplay of full motion video rail-based shooters and gave it two out of five. GamePro, meanwhile, awarded it the best CDI game of 1995. Now, in all fairness, that does not have a lot of competition on its hands. The remix version for the Saturn, however, got 56% in Sega Saturn magazine. Turns out it wasn't better then. Dang it. No, I'm still going to try it. Ooh, computer game review called it a substandard copy of Star Wars Rebel Assault. In all fairness, it doesn't look great in this challenge. It doesn't look great, and to be honest, I'm not sure either game player helps him. Tonight's celebrity guest is none other than reggae stroke dance stroke top 10 crossover legend, CJ Lewis. Right, now listen, CJ, in your spare time when you're not being a, a pop star, what games do you like to play? Games? Um, I usually like to play little Game Boys called Helicopter Rescue. Uh-huh. It's about the only one I've got. And you like that. <laughs> now, also, one of your first uh, reggae hits was a cover of Why Do Fools Fall In Love? Yeah. Now, that's a bizarre song, because the song itself doesn't actually answer the question. So why do fools fall in love? <laughs> they just end up falling in love. It's just one of those things everyone does. They do because they do. It's like Descartes, that, isn't it? It's a philosophical song. Dominic Diamond using the Anton Deck, PJ and Duncan, sort of same style of intro, only with them, he was like their pop, rap, death metal, like crossovers or whatever. He was clearly making fun of their pop career, right? And they seem to be fairly on board with that. CJ Lewis, he takes very, very seriously. He literally gives him what he is. He is a reggae dance top 10 crossover legend. So clearly, either he is not as friendly with CJ Lewis as he was with Anton Deck, or he was like, no, I'm just going to play this straight just in case I'm, I piss someone off. I reckon he filmed this before the Anton Deck one, did this as a straight intro, and then when it came to Anton Deck, he's like, oh, I can remix that. I can do my own remix that will probably get a better review than the Sega Saturn version did. But yeah, he just plays it straight with this guy, does try to have a bit of fun, kind of talks to him about his gaming history and CJ says oh um, I, I, I've only got a helicopter rescue which is an old school LCD game kind of like you know one of the game and watch types and I'm just thinking ooh that doesn't bode well he's clearly clearly a well he's a hardcore gamer because he only plays one game unfortunately that game is helicopter rescue 
And it probably isn't going to help him much here either. And like Dominic, I think tries pretty well to try and get blood from a stone here, talking about the the question of the song that he released. But like he just doesn't have an answer. You know, he just goes, I don't know. They just do. Everyone does. And Dom's like, oh, that's that's very philosophical of you. Anyway, let's move on to someone that I might be able to get something out of. He's he's facing a member of the congregation, Luke. He's facing Mark Denton. Now, Mark, we've actually had your twin brother on. Earlier in the series, Richard, he actually won a golden joystick. How do you think you're going to do against the might of CJ? I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Good. I like that. You're a very modest young man. Yeah, his brother was on this show earlier this season, but I couldn't work out. I couldn't remember what challenge he was doing. Do you know, I meant to go back and check to make sure, one, that his brother was on earlier this season, and also just make sure that they hadn't just taken his brother and actually it was the same person and they'd put a hat on him. Okay, Ash, I've done a quick search for this and I found out who it was. Richard Denton, his brother, was on the Super Star Wars Return of the Jedi Challenge. Oh man, that guy. So the guy that basically won the joystick and Dom didn't really want to give it to them. They just dosed on Star Wars and oh god. No wonder Mark didn't do very well on this challenge. Spoilers! Just sorry. (laughs) If you want to see if Mark can beat CJ, then join us after the break. The Sony Mini Disc can do everything ordinary tape can do. Except on Mini Disc, you can record digitally. Okay. It has random access. It's capable of taking the odd little knock. And it's as portable as you are. The Sony Mini Disc, the future of tape. Getting on for two million motorists have come to us, we believe, to save time, paperwork, and money. Who are we? Direct line, of course. But what many people don't know is that we could do the same for house insurance. In fact, we reckon millions of homeowners could save money with us. To find out if you could be a big saver, call Direct Line Insurance on 061 839 8877. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Don't go into town, boys! We're wanted! What for? For instant savings on videos and computer games of Blockbuster and Ritz! How? It's these pesky vouchers again! Pack some cash with hula hoops, roysters and McCoys. Attention, due to weather, all flights are cancelled. We're stuck. But I have an idea. We'll play it over our phones. Can you do it? Yeah. Wherever you get held up, Samsung has the technology to keep you in touch. Samsung. Welcome back. We have CJ Lewis, Chart Sensation, and Mark Denton, not a Chart Sensation, but a very nice young man nonetheless, about to do battle on Chaos Control. Helping me prove that two grown men can fit into the same pulpit is Steve Merritt from E-Machines. Steve, we've got CJ here. What is your favourite sweet for your sweetie? Well, that's an interesting topic, Dominic, but I'm a bit of a marathon man, I reckon. And some tactics for Chaos Control. Um, hold your finger down on the fire button. That's it's one it. of those. It's that simple. Now, Steve Merritt here says that uh, the suite for his suite is a marathon. Ash, is, uh, as someone who does have a partner, what suite would you buy for your suite? Oh, at the moment, it would be uh, some um, some dairy-free fudge. Mm-hmm. It's quite nice. Uh, also, Haribo is often a good bet. And, uh, oh, Swedish fish. Swedish fish, eh? And um, uh, butter rum lifesavers. Those those are kind of the sweets that I would like. You know, I would potentially go for if we're going for traditional candies rather than just something sweet and sugary. How about you? Uh, well, at the moment, my wife is very much into you know the Tony's chocolate bars, like the salted caramel ones that are absolutely bloody delightful. Also, very expensive. Also, totally ripping off the original Wonka designs from the oh yeah from the uh, from the sixties movie. Oh, 100%. Yeah. We actually had a sponsorship deal with Tony's uh, once upon a time. It's a couple of years back now. And the sponsorship deal fell through like just before like we they signed on the dotted line and everything. But they sent us a load of free uh, Tony's chocolate bars. So in the office, we had loads of them for ages. And we, ended up, we just got a load of free stuff from them. It was grand. That's, I mean, that's the, that, you know, whether the sponsorship deal goes through or not. I mean, obviously the money's good, but hey, free stuff. Free stuff. If anyone wants to sponsor us, we accept free stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm always about the free stuff. I do appreciate that he uses the name Marathon because I believe around this time, Marathon would have changed to Snickers, but it would still be stuck in the public conscious. And some people just go, oh, Americans changing the name. No, it was always called Snickers. It was us that changed it to Marathon. Before I did a quick bit of Wikipedia searching then, I would have thought that it was earlier uh, than 1994. And looking at it now, apparently it was Marathon until 1990. So it's been a Snickers for like four years at this point. Um, oh, Snickers! Oh, how you say? Uh, Snickers bar. Uh, Snickers. Bar! Cafe! There's one down the road. Now, you go out here, you take a right, and... 
In the spirit of international understanding, Marathon has changed its name to Snickers. It's still packed with peanuts and still covered with the smoothest milk chocolate. But now, for Marathon, say Snickers. Excuse me, have you got the Snickers? No, love. Just the way I walk. Snickers. All that's changed is the name. But yeah, I think I don't, I don't remember them ever being Marathons. I only ever remember them being Snickers. Uh, just I remember people complaining and just going, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, bloody Americans!" Bloody Americans. We get it in a couple of years' time as well because, like, Oprah fruits get changed to Starbursts and uh, Choco Krispies and all that sort of stuff. In the spirit of evolution, Oprah fruits is changing. Not its taste, just its name. Two jungle drops. Uh, chimpy chompies. How about Starburst? Now we're making progress. Opal Fruits is now Starburst! Yes! They were just synergizing their brands and sh- Which makes sense. Do you know what, Luke? It doesn't matter. It's the same sweet. It doesn't matter. But I do like a marathon or a Snickers. Oh, I love a Snickers. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of a Snickers. So, with this challenge, it's a bit of a unique one, this, because you get points for doing nothing. As you move, your score counter goes up and then will jump up if you manage to shoot something. So what that means is that Mark here, our, our lad from the congregation, the brother of Richard, gets 2,095 points by the end of this because he doesn't hit a single thing. No, I mean, we get to see a very pretty level, but Steve's advice for this was hold down the fire button, just keep shooting. And for some reason, Mark does not follow that very simple piece of advice. Although we do find out that Steve is definitely not a fan of Power Rangers. Yeah, they are definitely not on the Power Rangers bandwagon at this point. Okay, so what of the blue guys here? Um, they're like Power Rangers, so the sooner they die, the better, I reckon. <laughs> I don't think they ever will do either, particularly with that review that we get in a couple of episodes' time. Oh, next week. Next week it is. It, it, I mean, I very much enjoyed, I felt very nostalgic for the draw distance. Uh, when they're sort of first flying down into the level on this. It's a very silent hill with its sort of like levels of fog covering things up. But it is remarkable to watch Mark here just miss everything, but still get points for it. And he gets to the end of his go, and as you said, 2,095 points, and Dom's like, okay, Steve, how can CJ beat this score? Shoot something. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, fair, it's a fairly strong bit of advice. The level of disdain in his voice is... <laughs> like palpable you know it's like you can just tell he's just like i cannot believe i just wasted 45 seconds of my life on watching this lad not shoot anything but credit to cj unlike mark he does take on the advice of steve because he kills something very early on and again and in doing so beats mark's score in 15 seconds and dom and steve are like should we go for a cuppa because like yeah, the, challenge is, yeah. the challenge is basically over. It's impossible for him to lose at this point unless the machine explodes. And so CJ wins. Apparently Helicopter Rescue did more for him in preparing this than I thought it did, Luke. I know. We, we were very disparaging of his game playing choices. But yeah, it worked out for him in the end here. <laughs> he ends the round with 3,115 points. So it's not like he smashed the score or anything, but he very comfortably won. Mark... Oh dear. You know you get points as long as you stay alive in that. Yes. Yeah. And although you got a score of 2095, you didn't actually hit one thing. What went wrong? And ask me. 
I don't know. <laughs> well, Mark, all I can say is, unfortunately, you didn't match your brother's playing prowess, so it's just back to the cage, Mark Denton. And no, I don't think we should applaud. No applause. No applause, because that was hopeless. Don't, don't. It wasn't good enough for applause. Okay, CJ, your performance was excellent. But do you know the guests aren't supposed to win? The guests are supposed to be really bad on the show. So what went wrong? <laughs> I don't know. I just got into it and it just <laughs> went from there. I was looking at your face. You were enjoying that a bit much, actually. Yeah, I think I wouldn't mind having a few more girls in there, actually. <laughs> Could this be a career change for you now? You'll become somebody who goes around in planes shooting down people in blue and white suits. No, this will just be for fun. My favourite thing about this is Dominic Diamond telling the audience not to applaud him. It was just like, no, no, no. I don't applaud him. He did, he did terrible. So he just sort of walks off in silence. I mean, he's not wrong. No, no, he's very right. CJ, however, gets criticism in a different way because Dom's like, the guests aren't meant to be good. You're meant to be bad. What went wrong? And CJ's like, oh, I don't know, I just got into it. <laughs> but it's not going to be a career change, though. This is just for fun. Killing alien invaders is just for fun, Luke. It's not a career. Which is a shame as well, because we are around the corner from Independence Day. And, you know, maybe Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith could have used CJ Lewis on their team. Looking into the future, Luke, one person they do have on their team is one Sir Patrick Moore. But we will be getting to that when we take a look at Independence Day UK. I cannot wait for that bonus episode. That's going to be so much oh, fun. I know. You, I mean, you have been talking about us doing that since we started doing this podcast. Like, it was almost like the, almost the second chat that we ever had. I was like, do you know what we could also do? It might have even been the first conversation we ever had about this. Do you know what we could also do? How many other times in your life are you going to get to talk about Patrick Moore fist fighting an alien? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right, and I can't wait for it. Anyway, Dom ends this by pointing out that while CJ got to number one with sweets for his suite... He also got to number one on this challenge, which nets him the Golden Games Master Joystick. Although, it's more impressive getting to number one of the charts because realistically, he didn't have to do much to get to number one of this challenge. No, he really did not. Not a great challenge, that, unfortunately. But he did get to wrestle a goblin. Well, you know, there's always that. Games Master, I'm a bit short-sighted and find it difficult to see what's going on on Super Stardust on the Amiga. Is there any way of making it bigger for me? No, but I can give you tunnel vision. Enter this code, C-E-S-U-Q-A-A-Q-F-F-X, and you'll start the game at the first tunnel level, which, for everyone else, looks like this. Next time, go to your optician before pestering me. We started off this show with jokes about spec savers and Vision Express and all of this, and all of a sudden our first girl here is a bit short-sighted when it comes to Super Stardust on the Amiga and just wants it to be bigger. I'm again reminded of Red Dwarf, of like, oh, my eyes have no zoom function. Will you just move your head closer to the object? But Games Master gives her a password, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, and it takes you to the first tunnel level. And Games Master's like, well, yeah, next time just go to your optician. And they start to use what I'm assuming are outtakes or between delivery bits, because this girl is just looking sheepishly or mawkishly off into the distance. And they do it with the next kid as well. Yeah, I know. It reminds me of, remember they had uh, Kevin Keegan on in uh, Series 3 for his football game and they used the take of him going like, oh, thanks, Games Master, you're a big help. After Games Master's like, you're a prick, mate. And he's like, oh, thanks, Games Master. Yeah, they go full space ghost, coast to coast on this one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But on Super Stardust, I will say, this is a 1994 game, so this is not an Amiga game that's been lying around. It will also come out again on the CD32 but that's not all. It gets a PC port called Super Stardust 96, 
which in itself gets an enhanced remake released in 2007 for the PlayStation 3 and in 2008 for the PlayStation Portable and a sequel called Super Stardust Delta, which was released for the PlayStation Vita. I think it's just nice. Yeah, I know Dominic Diamond doesn't like the consultation zone. You know, he said that in our interview. He said it in multiple interviews, in fact, that he never liked the consultation zone. But you know what? It's been a way for us to at least still talk about Amiga games because they're not really featured. They're never featured in challenges. They very rarely, I think it's only come up in one review thus far. So it's kind of nice for us to still like have the Amiga around because like the Amiga was so pivotal to the first couple of series of Games Master. I mean, it gave us one of our all-time great moments the axe-throwing competition in Heimdall. Exactly, yeah. On Psycho Pinball on the Mega Drive, I prefer to play the bonus table, but it is so hard to get to. Help me, please. Haven't you anything better to do? While on the main table, pause the game and enter B-A-B-B-A-C-A-C. This will take you straight to the sub-game. Subnormal, more like I mean, we've talked about pinball games on this show before, and I love a pinball game. And Psycho Pinball is not one that I've played a lot of, but from the small times that I have played, it very much enjoyed. Yeah, it's a Codemaster game. There's a bunch of different themed tables. You've got Wild West, Trick or Treat, The Abyss, which is kind of an underwater one, and Psycho, which is an amusement park-based one. And, well, the first three are regular tables. Psycho is a weird one because it actually has paths in it that lead you back to the other tables so you can be playing psycho and then you go through a path into a tent and the ball goes on to say the abyss or trick or treat or wild west and then when you lose the ball it drops back into psycho that's a really really cool mechanic that's really cool but this kid wants to get to one of the bonus levels which isn't so good and Games Master, I think, rightly derides him for this one, just going, a sub-game, sub-normal more like. Cue bonus footage of the kid going, Mur. Yeah, I think that's it's a fair enough response because what we're finding in the consultation zone a lot recently is like less effort being put into this. They aren't, aside from, you know, maybe the benefactor ones or some of these sort of uh, more like you need to do these steps in order to advance to this thing. What we're sort of finding here are just sort of pointless cheats that no one could really want. And they have to sort of like fudge these excuses as to why the kids are asking for them. I mean, at least our next one that we get feels like a genuine hint from Games Master. Games Master, a few weeks ago, you said there were some secret levels in Earthworm Gym known as the Dark Rooms. How do I get to them? No, I think you'll find it was actually Mr. Diamond who said that. But um, as the universe's games, Bane, I can tell you where they are myself. On lab level five, jump into this easily missed box and you'll find enlightenment in the dark rooms. All clear now? Thanks, Games Master. Ooh, more Earthworm Jim. Exactly, yeah. And this is a way to get into the hidden bonus stages, the dark rooms for, for Earthworm Jim. So this is like a legit cheat and hint and entry into the consultation zone. So I, I, I appreciated this effort. I also appreciated Games Master correcting the child, going, well, actually, it wasn't me that talked about this. It was Mr. Diamond. But yeah, nice and simple way to get to the dark rooms. And with that, Games Master is going to go to lie down with his joystick. I'm sure he is. 
I think they're saying he's going to have a wank. Next week, the much-awaited Sony PlayStation is finally released in Japan. The promotional tape that's doing the rounds in advance shows a plethora of games in development for this new console. Because this is Japan, there's plenty of simulations of traditional Japanese games like Ma Young and Pachinko. Well, they seem to like them. There are predictable conversions of games from other systems like Parodius. And because this is a brand new machine, there are plenty of highly original beat-em-ups. Mm-hmm. And of course, RPGs, which Japanese blokes and birds go mental over. Quite what this game is about, none of us knew, but we like it. This is an early version of wacky driving game Toon Toon Racer, which is like the illegitimate offspring of Mario Kart and Stunt Race FX. Metal Jacket involves wandering around the city, dispatching of robots in time-honored fashion. And yet more RPG games, this time in 3D. But the flagship game will be Toshinden, which doesn't look at all like Virtua Fighters, oh no. Despite looking groovy, these games do not jump up and smack you over the head with the rod of originality, and none of them touch the smartness of Ridge Racer. However, by the time UK punters get their hands on this in autumn 1995, Mr. and Mrs. Much Better Games will have come to call. Possibly to this next feature because. <laughs> uh, <laughs> segue. Because, Ash, bloody hell, not only have we got the Sega Saturn in this episode, we've got the fucking PlayStation here as well. Here we are, one week out from the Japanese launch, and we're going to take a look at the promotional video which is showing us the lineup for the Japanese launch of the PlayStation. It's an intro, it's a very Japanese lineup. Considering that the PlayStation is, you know, thought to be one of the greatest consoles ever released, right? Like certainly it's a, it's a seminal console, it's a groundbreaking console. This promo video here look makes it look a bit butts. <laughs> to be honest, it's not great. And I think it is fascinating with the benefit of hindsight that Games Master have picked the Sega Saturn to be their horse in this race. Because Dominic Diamond does not look that impressed with the PlayStation, which I think is fair because this isn't a great promotional video for it. But he's pretty disparaging about most things in here. It's like RPGs, well, the Japanese love them. That's Mahjong because the Japanese like it. Oh, look, here's another 2D fighter. That doesn't look particularly great. The only game that he seems into is Ridge Racer. And he sort of like ends off this piece with like, you know, thankfully for us, Better games will be here once the PlayStation hits our shores next year. But it really does feel that Games Master, like they have with the 3DO, have picked the Sega Saturn for this next round of the war. I mean, looking through some of the titles we're shown here, yeah, we get Mahjong and Pachinko and stuff like that. We do get a brief glimpse of a Parodius title, which is a compilation of the second and third Parodius games. That one I liked, but that's because I like Parodius. And also yeah, the yeah. soundtrack would sound mint on the CD format. I Oh... That made me want to go and play Parodius. That collection's also out on the Saturn, and I know because I've got it on my Saturn. So, you know, it, it's it's a fun time to be had. We see a couple of other Japanese launch titles, Crime Crackers and Neketsu Oyaka. Toon Toon Racer. Yeah, Toon Toon Racer, which is actually, I think, Motor Toon Grand Prix, which was a Japanese exclusive. It was never released outside Japan, but its sequel was. But because the first game wasn't released outside of Japan, 
In America, the second game was just called Motortune Grand Prix. But in the UK and Europe, Motortune Grand Prix 2 was actually called Motortune Grand Prix 2, despite the first game never having been released. And I've gone cross-eyed, Luke. Mm. But marketing, that's what it is. It's all marketing. Uh, we see Metal Jacket briefly, some 3D RPG game that looks quite spooky. The flagship game that they're holding up is Battle Arena Toshinden, or just called Toshinden here, which Dom's like, oh, it doesn't look like Virtua Fighters at all. And to be honest, it kind of doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like Virtua Fighter. It looks like its own game. It's a weapon-based game. Uh, it's much faster than Virtua Fighter. I'd say Virtua Fighter probably is a better game. But also, this does more with textures and more with other stuff. I mean, Battle Arena Toshinden was on that demo disc that came with the American and European launch of the PlayStation. I played the shit out of that demo. I never found the full game that satisfying, but that demo was a great way to make me think, yes, this was worth spending my pennies on. My friend has uh, Toshinden and loved it. Absolutely loved it. He thought it was a banging, banging game. And like... This, yeah, and it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about they have picked the Saturn as their horse for this race because, like, they are using this feature to essentially say, like, you know, this these don't really jump out and slap you with originality. It's not as good as Virtua Fighter. It's just that end line of just like, well, maybe there'll be some better games for it uh, coming down the line once we get it. The biggest issue with the launch titles over here was actually availability. And that's why I yeah. ended up with a few duff titles at launch. It's because it's like, well, I need something to play. What have I actually got available? We're actually going to do a couple of bonus episodes between Season 4 and Series 5, looking at the European launch of the Sega Saturn, looking at the European launch of the Sony PlayStation. Just to go over a bit about the Japanese launch of the PlayStation, it launched at 39,800 yen. It came out a week after the Sega Saturn and... It was quite a big hit to begin with. It sold 100,000 units on the first day and then 2 million units in its first six months on the market. In the first few weeks of launch, the Saturn actually did sell better, purely because of Virtua Fighter. And by the end of 94, only 300,000 PlayStation units had sold in Japan. The Saturn had 500,000 out there, but it soon started to overtake because its lineup went from strength to strength. You got more and more good games. As we've discussed with the Saturn, when we had that little feature of the guy with the Saturn in his living room, the first importer, the grey market emerged for the PlayStation as well. I remember seeing my first import PlayStation in a local game shop. It was also the first place I ever saw 3DO and I fell in love with it a bit then as well. But buyers of such consoles could pay up to £700. Man. So with the Saturn out, the PlayStation out, the 3DO out, the 32X out, and the Jaguar doing whatever. Hey, Jaguar CD, come on now. The Jaguar doing whatever (laughs) the Jaguar was doing. The 32-bit era is here. And yes, I know the Jaguar 64 bits, but come on, it's just two 32-bit processors taped together. Yeah, it's nine, no 64-bit console, man. In some ways, the 32X looks better than the Jaguar, and that's a bad thing. That really does say a lot, doesn't it? But here we are with the tail end of 1994. The next generation is here, Luke. Do you know what? I mean, Dominic Diamond said this uh, a few episodes back with the Ridge Racer feature that they like, abandoned the Challenge Force. They could show us Ridge Racer, which was just, you know, we are saying goodbye to the Mega Drive and the SNES. Like you, point, like you said then, this is the next generation now. When we get into Series 5, we ain't seeing no the Mega Drive, no SNES. It is all next gen stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking down the list of episode five games and man oh well we're getting less challenges 
there are some games there I cannot wait to discuss with you. But hey, we're not done with this episode yet, Luke. We've got one more challenge, and I'm sure it's going to be a forward-looking, highly sophisticated game. I regret to say that my final challenge on the Mega Drive platformer, Grugerman, involved some of the grosser bodily functions. Players had 45 seconds to collect as many points as possible as they pick their windy way through the cave level. To spice things up further, our players were wearing some rather special vibrating vests which will ensure they feel the full force of their flatulence. Oh, man, like it's... <sighs> I, I don't mind Boogerman, a pick-and-flick adventure on the Mega Drive. I think it's a perfectly serviceable uh, platforming game, you know? Like, it's... This is not a good challenge. It's not a great game. But also, in an episode where we had the Sega Saturn reviewed, where we had this PlayStation feature, man, does this feel like a step back. Although... And I can't believe I'm going out to bat for Boogerman, a pick and flick adventure. The animation is really good. Dude, as I said, I am. I will always go to bat for Boogerman because I don't think it is that bad of a game. It's fucking nails. It's hard as balls. But like, it's, you know, it's not that terrible. And also, this wouldn't be the last we see of Boogerman because him and Earthworm Jim would appear in Clay Fighter 63 and a third. Ooh. So, oh, I mean, okay, so I've mentioned this before. I tried to start a YouTube series in sort of like 2010 or so about um, uh, the Sega Mega Drive A through Z, where I was going to like do, you know, uh, every letter of the alphabet for sort of like a, a Mega Drive game for every letter of the alphabet. And I did uh, Alien 3 as A with Aladdin as my bonus episode. B was going to be Boogerman. And I played through it a lot to try and like capture all the footage and stuff that I was using. And because Boogerman features in Clay Fighter 63 and a third, I emulated Clay Fighter 63 and a third so I could unlock both Earthworm Jim and Boogerman so I could get uh, footage for it. So yeah, I have completed that game so I can unlock those characters. And let me tell you, it ain't good. No, it's not. Oh, it was no good, man. Poor old Clay Fighter, you know. I mean, and Clay Fighter won't fucking escape this podcast either. We seem to keep bringing it up every few episodes. There's always time to flog a horse. Anyway, Boogerman didn't quite die. It did get a re-release for the Wii Virtual Console in 2008. And in 2013, the creators announced that a high-def sequel to the game was in the works under their company named Toy Ghost. They started a campaign with a $375,000 goal. That's not actually that much. And announced that any backer who pledged $40 or more would be rewarded with an exclusive co-op mode featuring Earthworm Jim. Oh, that's pretty cool. That might have made me back it. Oh, well, it would have been the difference maker because it only reached a total of $40,000. Oh, man, that is... That is quite a ways off. They did, as a last gasp, send it to Steam Greenlight. Unfortunately, nothing has really been heard of it since. Which is astounding because Steam Greenlight released a lot of shit. <laughs> like, it's, it didn't matter. Couldn't even get through that. In fairness to them, maybe they didn't want to release shit. Maybe they genuinely wanted to make something good. So I, I'm kind of sad about that because the concept of a Boogerman and Earthworm Jim co-op mode, that sounds kind of fun. To play this, please welcome Andrew Jones and Ross Alexander. Okay, now Andrew, uh, you've got a little part-time job to help pay for your games playing habit. What is it? Uh, tomato picking. And what, what sort of skills make a good tomato picker? Um, stamina, really, to put up with the boss. Oh, is he it? Is it not terribly good, no? No. What, what's, what's his name? 
Robinson. Mr. Mr. Robinson. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Robinson. Uh, be a bit nice to Andrew. We know where you live, and there's a lovely kid you've got. Okay. You starting? Uh, all right. Thanks for that, Andrew. Thanks We've got that sorted out. Uh, Ross, now, Ross, you've got a, a hilarious bike getting nicked anecdote, don't you? Yeah, yeah I was um, uptown and I had my bike nicked, so I had to chase after these kids who nicked my bike. And uh, I had to get a lift from some stranger I didn't know and um, take him to the police station. On the way, the kid jumped out of the car and I had to chase him, get him back again. And he got to the police station and got 20 quid compensation, which wasn't bad. You got 20 quid? Yeah. So you could actually do this a couple of times each day and make yeah, quite a comfortable yeah, living. Yeah, it would be pretty good, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, it's worth, worth bearing in mind. Now, we could talk about Andrew and uh, Dominic Diamond threatening to murder his boss's children. But I want to talk about Ross, who has this story about his bike being nicked. As best as I can tell, the story is some kids nicked his bike. So he got in the car of a stranger. They drove to the police but then saw the kids with the bike. So he got out of the car to chase after them. Long story short, he got 20 quid. Okay. I mean, to be honest, Dom almost falls asleep in this story. So I can understand where you might got a bit confused, but I had it down as his bike got stolen. He chased the kid down. Then he brought a stranger and the car in to get them to the police station. But the kid who'd nicked the bike jumped out of the car while they were going to the police station. So Ross had to chase him down again. They got to the police station and Ross got given 20 quid compensation. I don't know where the 20 quid came from. So the kid that nicked his bike also happened to be in the stranger's car? No, no. I think Ross abducted a child into a stranger's car. I see now. Okay. Hilarious story. <laughs> I'm so glad that we talked about that. I'm so glad we, we dedicated time on Games Bar to talk about that. But yeah, also, we kind of skipped over a little bit there. And we talked about this just before we came on to record. Dominic Diamond threatens to kill some children in this episode. Because Andrew is a tomato picker in a part-time job. It's how he pays for his gaming habit. And he says, oh, it requires stamina to put up with my boss, who's called Mr. Robinson. And he can be a bit mean. So Dom just literally steps out of the program. He breaks the fourth wall and just goes, we know where you live, Mr. Robinson. And those are lovely kids you've got. You're starting. Yeesh. Do you know what? Yeesh. But I laughed like a twat. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> just the way that Dom literally did a big comedy step, kind of like, and I'm stepping out of the show to threaten murder. And to be honest, it made slightly more sense than the bike nicking story. Yeah, the bike nicking story drags this down. Yeah. You, you had your take on it. I had my take. The truth may be somewhere in between. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what was going on with that. And like the insert they had of Dom pulling a face was that that really made me laugh, actually, because that was clearly done afterwards where they were like being like, hmm, actually, this is this is quite a boring story. We need to have an insert of Dom here so we can highlight the fact that this is no good. Oh, but this isn't just a common or garden challenge, is it, Luke? Oh, no, we've got another gimmick. We have got a gimmick, and what they're playing with are these interactive pads where the sound effects and the sound of the game is sort of like programmed into the pad, or at least they're channeled through the pad. So essentially, every time that uh, Boogerman farts or burps, they feel the vibrations on there. So what they're looking for the kids to do is to do the farts and the burps throughout so that they can feel it like vibrate against them. Now, it may not seem it, given the game we're seeing it on, but this is actually pretty groundbreaking technology. It's called the Aura Interactor and it takes the audio information from the console. So I imagine there's a breakout cable which takes the audio and half of it goes to your TV and half of it goes into this kind of life vest 
pack thing that you're wearing and it separates out the low frequency audio and then converts it into vibrations that represent things like punches and kicks. It uses something called an electromagnetic actuator and in 1994 is the first commercially available haptic feedback suit. So you think of what we talk about now with rumble feature or with the PS5 and the haptic triggers that the resistance on them changes depending on what you're doing. So it will be a different feeling for slicing a knife to shooting a gun and different guns will have different feelings. And I've encountered it when playing the Spider-Man games on the PS5. It's pretty cool. Here we are in 1994 and it's wearable. For fart. And it's amazing they used it on this game because they actually had a deal going with a claim for Mortal Kombat 2. Oh, I mean, okay, that's, uh, yeah. So I thought it makes sense that it's on this challenge because farts and burps are funny and like they feel the vibrations with the farts and the burps. But if you had it for Mortal Kombat 2, yeah, I would have thought you'd probably want to try and use it on that. Basically, they signed a massive deal where Acclaim would put interactor cards in the Mortal Kombat 2 boxes, Aura would pack in Mortal Kombat 2 bump with the haptic vests, and Acclaim programmed special audio cues into the game code, which would trigger specific responses from the interactor. So it wasn't necessary, but there was actually direct interaction. There was stuff that was in that game that was only designed to work with the interactor. It doesn't quite make me want to track an interactor down, but it does make me curious as to what those are. And a Mortal Kombat 2 challenge with those would have been really fun because you would have been able to sort of like cut back and almost like fit, like almost film the challenges, like feeling the hits and things like that. That would have been really smart. Yeah, it cost $100 when it was released in America. It sold over 400,000 units. This was not a bomb. This was a hit. It won awards for its innovative technology and it worked. Do you remember the kind of affordable VR headset stuff and glasses we started to see yeah you could use it with that wow okay so we really are trying to create sort of a virtual reality world when you're playing a game yeah i genuinely think this is pretty cool and i wish we were seeing it on a cooler game or rather a less toilet humor game than boogerman yeah mortal kombat 2 challenge would have been great because that's the problem I have with this challenge. Like, you know, we can talk about the challenge in, in a little bit, but I think my problem I have with it is that the gimmick never factors into the challenge. One of them does say later on that they were put off by the vibrations uh, and that's sort of like, that's why they did so bad at the challenge. But like it's, as a viewer at home, you wouldn't know they were wearing the vest other than the fact that the commentators tell you that they are. Yeah, and you see them putting them on. And yeah, there's a couple of lines in the post-match. But while they're getting strapped in, we join Joss from Total in the box. He explains that the sound from the game is pumped into the vest, basically what we just went through, meaning they get the full rip-roaring satisfaction of Boogerman's farts. And I love Dom and Dom's comment of, oh, so it's like farting on the leather sofa. Gotcha. And Andrew is up first. And... He does fine. The idea of this challenge is for them to do the farts and the burps so you feel it. And he only really attempts it once or twice and just jumps on the rest of his challenges, uh, the rest of his sort of like, you know, obstacles in the way and just plays it like a regular challenge. I reckon he did it once or twice and went, well, that feels weird. And then just avoided doing whatever would cause those feelings. He doesn't do bad. He gets to 2,700 points. He doesn't die. Like Joss said, 2,400 points would be considered a good score, so he bettered that. And Doms turns to Joss at the end of Andrew's go and says, Joss, how can he beat that? And Joss has this advice. <laughs> Solid advice, Luke. 
well, slightly wet advice, actually. And unfortunately, Ross does not listen because 15 seconds in, he dies. And that is it. 800 points on the clock. And the only real positive to say about this is it did remind me of Robocop, the guy that gets covered in the radioactive waste because Boogerman melts. And I was just like, ooh, I should watch Robocop sometime soon. But anyway, back to this challenge. We'll uh, we'll start with you. What what did it feel like then, playing that with with a vest on? Um, It was like the feeling you get when you climb the gym ropes at school. Say no more, Andrew. I know know exactly what you mean. Uh, Ross, do us a favour. This is the stopwatch I use to time the challenges, right? This is stopped after yours finished. Tell us, what time does that say? Um, 15 seconds. Sorry, sorry. Say that again, Ross. 15 seconds. Sorry, I can't quite hear you. I'm quite loud. Uh, 15 seconds. 15 seconds. And that was all you lasted, Ross. Why? Well, the bottom broken was vibrating so much with the vest, I just lost my grip. Sweet. And again, I can completely sympathise with that. Thanks very much for joining us, Ross. But you don't get the joystick because Andrew gets Gamesmaster's Golden Joystick. It's not a, it's not a great ending here. And like in the post-match, um, I did enjoy Andrew with his like Wayne's World line of like, she makes me feel kind of funny. Like when he used to climb the rope in gym class. Dom knows what he means. I know what he means. You know what he means. If you guys at home know what he means, you know what he means. But then the ultimate humiliation, he makes Ross read out his stopwatch. He was like, here's my stopwatch. Read it out. Say it loudly so everyone can hear it. Makes him repeat it over and over again to highlight that within 15 seconds, he died. He did very, very poor. And Dom does go like, what happened? And he's like, oh, vibrations. I lost my grip. And I'll be honest, I almost felt Dom was going to leap on that. And he's like, actually, no, I can understand that. Fair enough. So Andrew gets the joystick. And Ross gets a missed handshake, then a kind of half-hearted handshake. Oh, it's so awkward. Ross goes for one. Andrew doesn't see it, but then Andrew sees it. But by that point, Ross has taken his hand away. Oh, man. And and I've been in those situations as well. Like, I could feel the social awkwardness in me. It's not a good day for Ross. To tell you what, I bet you get home, he finds his bike's been stolen again and he wasn't there to chase the kid. That's it for another show. I'm off to make people break wind during job interviews. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. And this might be my favourite of Dom's outro lines that we have had this series, where he's off to make people break wind during job interviews. Ties into the challenge that we've just had. I thought it was pretty funny. Have you ever farted during a job interview, Luke? I don't think I have, no. Uh, I, I can't, I don't seem to recall doing so anyway. I don't think I have doing a job interview. I think I have while waiting. Mm. And it's not too bad because if there are other people waiting in the room with you, you can always try and pass it off as being someone else. Yeah, look towards someone else and be like, you smell that? And sort of yeah. shift the eye over to someone else. <laughs> but that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, Ash, what did you make of it? This is another one where I had a lot of fun talking about it with you and PlayStation feature was so much fun. The consultation zone was actually a lot of fun. The reviews were okay. The news, the news was pretty cool. The news was nice. The challenges were fucking awful. I mean, I had fun talking about them with you because we made some jokes. We had some laughs. We got to talk about Boogerman. We got to talk about Earthworm Jim. But it's not a great episode. It's an episode saved by its news, reviews and features. Which is a running occurrence now we found through the last few episodes of Series 4, I feel. I mean, I'm looking ahead to the next couple of episodes and it's a two-challenge episode next week. It's another another two-challenge episode the week after that. 
I know already what next week's going to be like, and I think next week is a better episode challenge-wise yeah, than this better, one. Yeah. But mm. I, I feel that we have been on a poor run of form in these last three episodes. I think that you and I have both been pretty down on the last on this little trilogy of episodes. Next week is a marked improvement. Yeah, I, like you, I was sort of enamored by the fact that we got a Sega Saturn review, the fact that we had a PlayStation feature, Sega TV and all that sort of stuff. Like some of that stuff is really exciting because that's stuff that's coming down in the future. Like the fact that we got a Sega Saturn review in this episode is kind of mind-blowing to me. But the challenges were so ass. Like not not good and kind of boring and I, and that's a real shame if they'd just been okay challenges i'd probably be rating this episode a lot higher because the features and the reviews and the consultation zone was fun i kind of appreciate the video mixing they're doing in the consultation zone where they're using little snippets of outtakes poor bloody kids but that would be a case of oh the challenges were okay but hey that feature as opposed to this which is that feature but man the challenges dragged it down yeah really really did so Score-wise, I'm not in the 80s. I'm mid-70s again, I think. I'm 73. That was the score I put down. I'm like, I can't give it 75. No, I mean, I was 74. I didn't want to give it 70, because it's not that bad, but 73. And it's 73 purely based on the challenges. Yeah, If I was just reviewing this based on, say, a 10-minute, 15-minute episode with news reviews consultation zones and features this would be a mid 80s this lost over 10 percent on the challenges i agree with you like it's fascinating with the benefit of hindsight because you know we are like really looking into the future at this point but yeah those challenges were not good at all real shame that uh but thank you all so much for listening to this episode of under consultation you all rule you can find us on social media at under console pod on twitter at under dot console on instagram and you can email us feedback at underconsultation.com. and if you want a bit of real-time interaction you want to chat with us chat with other listeners chat with other fans of games retro gaming and pop culture in general you can jump over to our under consultation discord where the current topic of conversation is uh, loki and falcon and the winter soldier and uh, oh apparently people are starting to watch the what if people are starting to watch the new what if series oh that's yeah that's out today yeah i hope they keep that chat in the spoiler zone otherwise I will be a cross and grumpy Discord admin. But if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, which is this show, but for about other TV shows. We'll have done Raggy Dolls by this point. We've done the X-Files, game shows like Dale Supermarket Sweep and even Bullseye. You'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community show. And at the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad-free. But at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Ooh, they get the Patreon merch pack, which includes a Patreon-exclusive mug, stickers, badges, retro sweeties, retro trading card, and £5 off our under-consultation t-shirt, which is available along with other badges, stickers, and mugs at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Robert, Rich Downer, Rich Pemberton, Nick, Misha, Matty Boo, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Cliff, Adam D, and Colin. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week for episode 12 of series four. Take care, everyone. Good night. <laughs>
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.